Welcome to Jimmy Zen Reads. Mark Twain, Luck. It was at a banquet in London in honour of one of the two or three conspicuously illustrious English military names of this generation. For reasons which I will presently appear, I will withhold his real name and titles and call him Lieutenant General Lord Arthur Scoresbury, YC, KCB, etc., etc., etc. What a fascination there is in a renowned name. There sat the man in actual flesh whom I'd heard of so many thousands of times since that day, thirty years before, when his name suddenly shot into the zenith from a Crimean battlefield to remain forever celebrated. It was food and drink to me to look and look and look at that demigod, scanning, searching, noting the quietness, the reserve, the noble gravity of his countenance, the simple honesty that expressed itself all over him, the sweet unconsciousness of his greatness, unconsciousness of the hundreds of admiring eyes fastened upon him, unconsciousness of the deep, loving, sincere worship welling out of the breasts of those people and flowing toward him. The clergyman at my left was an old acquaintance of mine, but he had spent the first half of his life in the camp and field as an instructor in the military school at Woolwich. Just at the moment I have been talking about a veiled and singular light glimmered in his eyes and he leaned down and muttered confidently to me, indicating the hero of the banquet with a gesture. Privately, he's an absolute fool. This verdict was a great surprise to me. If its subject had been Napoleon or Socrates or Solomon, my astonishment couldn't have been greater. Two things I was well aware of, that the Reverend was a man of strict veracity and his judgment of men was good. Therefore, I knew beyond doubt or question that the world was mistaken about this hero. He was a fool, so I meant to find out, at a convenient moment, how the Reverend, all solitary and alone, had discovered the secret. Some days later, the opportunity came and this is what the Reverend told me. About 40 years ago, I was an instructor in the military academy at Woolwich, and I was present in one of the sections when a young Scoresby underwent his preliminary examination. I was touched to the quick with pity, for the rest of the class answered up brightly and handsomely. Why, dear me, he didn't know anything, so to speak. He was evidently good and sweet and lovable and guileless, and so it was exceedingly painful to see him stand there, as serene as a graven image, and deliver himself of answers which were veritably miraculous for stupidity and ignorance. All of the compassion in me was aroused in his behalf. I said to myself, when he comes to be examined again, he'll be flung over, of course, so it will simply a harmless act of charity to ease his fall as much as I can. I took him aside and found that he knew little of Caesar's history, and that he didn't know anything else. I went to work and drilled him like a galley slave on certain line of stock questions, questions concerning Caesar, which I knew would be used. If you'll believe me, he went through with flying colours on examination day. He went through on that purely superficial cram, and he got compliments too, while others, who knew a thousand times more than he, got plucked by some strangely lucky accident, an accident not likely to happen twice in a century, 
he was asked no question outside of the narrow limits of his drill. It was stupefying. Well, all through his course, I stood by him with something of the sentiment which a mother feels for a crippled child, and he always saved himself just by miracle, apparently. Now, of course, the thing that would expose him and kill him at last was mathematics. I resolved to make his death as easy as I could, so I drilled him and crammed him and crammed him and drilled him, just on one line of question, which the examiners would be most likely to use, and then launched him onto his fate. Well, sir, try to conceive of the result. To my consternation, he took first prize, and with it he got a perfect ovation in the way of compliments. Sleep? There was no more sleep for me for a week. My conscience tortured me by day and night. What I had done, I had done purely through charity, and only to ease the poor youth's fall. I had never dreamed of any such preposterous results as the thing that had happened. I felt as guilty and miserable as Frankenstein. Here was a wooden head, whom I would put in the way of glittering promotions and prodigious responsibilities, and but one thing could happen. He and his responsibilities would all go to ruin together at the first opportunity. The Crimean War had just broken out. Of course, there had to be a war. I said to myself, we couldn't have peace and give this donkey a chance to die before he'd found out. I waited for the earthquake. It came, and it made me real when it did. He was actually gazetted to captaincy in a marching regiment. Better men grow old and grey in the service before they climb to sublimity like that. And who could ever have foreseen that they would go and put such a load of responsibility on such a green and inadequate shoulders? I could just barely have stood it if they had made him a cornet, but a captain, think of it. I thought my hair would turn white. Consider what I did. I, who so loved response and inaction, I said to myself, I am responsible to the country for this, and I must go along with him and protect the country against him as far as I can. So I took my poor little captain that I'd saved through the years of work and grinding economy and went with a sigh and bought a cornetcy in his regiment, and away we went to the field. And there, oh dear, it was awful. Blunders? Why, he never did anything but blunder. But you see, nobody was in the fellow's secret. Everybody had him focused wrong, and necessarily misinterpreted his performance every time. Consequently, they took his idiotic blunders for inspirations of genius. They did, honestly. His mildest blunders were enough to make a man in his right mind cry. And they did make me cry, and rage, and rave too, privately. And the thing that kept me always in a sweat of apprehension was the fact that every fresh blunder he made increased the luster of his reputation. I kept saying to myself, he'll get so high that when discovery does finally come, it will be like the sun falling out the sky. He went right along up from grade to grade, over the dead bodies of his superiors, until, at last, in the hottest moment of battle of, down went our colonel, and my heart jumped into my mouth. Now for it, said I, we'll all land in Shoal in ten minutes. Sure, the battle was awfully hot. The Allies were steadily giving way all over the field. Our regiment occupied a position that was vital. A blunder now must be destructive. At this crucial moment, 
what does this immortal fool do but detach the regiment from its place and order a charge over the neighbouring hill where there wasn't a suggestion of the enemy. There you go, I said to myself. This is the end at last. And away we did go and were over the shoulder of the hill before the insane movement could be discovered and stopped. And what did we find? An entire and unsuspected Russian army in reserve. And what happened? We were eaten up. That is, necessarily, what would have happened in 99 cases out of 100. But no. Those Russians argued that no single regiment would come browsing around there at such a time. It must be the entire English army. And that the sly Russian game was detected and blocked. So, they turned tail and away they went, pell-mell, over the hill, down into the field in wild confusion, and we after them. They themselves broke the solid Russian centre of the field and tore through and in no time there was the most tremendous route you'd ever saw and the defeat of the Allies was turned into a sweeping and splendid victory. Marshal Cannabert looked on, dizzy with astonishment, admiration and delight and sent right off for Scoresbury and hugged him and decorated him on the field in the presence of all the armies. And what was Scoresbury's blunder at that time? merely mistaking his right hand for his left. That was all. An order had come in for him to fall back and support our right, and instead he fell forward and went over the hill to the left. But the name he won that day as a marvellous military genius filled the world with his glory, and that glory will never fade while history books last. He is just as good and sweet and lovable and unpretending as a man can be but he doesn't know enough to come in when it rains. Now, that is absolutely true. He is the supremest arse in the universe, and until half an hour ago, nobody knew it but himself and me, and he has been pursued day by day and year by year by a most phenomenal and astonishing luckiness. He has been a shining soldier in all wars for a generation. He has littered his whole military life with blunders, and yet has never committed one that did make him a knight or a baronet or a lord or something. Look at his breast. Why, he's just clothed in domestic and foreign decorations. Well, sir, every one of them is the record of some shouting stupidity or other. And, taken together, they're proof that the very best thing in all the world that can befall a man is to be born lucky. I say again, as I said it at the banquet, Scoresby is an absolute fool. The end.